0: We're going to be looking at what's important to us as a church. This series will be anchored in First Peter, and First uh, Peter is a letter that that powerfully uh, displays the voice of God speaking uh, to the needs of the church today. So I'm excited to see what God will show us and what He will speak to us. What I want to start with is the idea of our mission as a church. Our mission as a church is simple: it's to worship God, it's to build up believers. It's to reach others for Christ. That's why we exist. Uh, We want everything we do to be focused around uh, being about those things. Now our vision that flows out of that is that we want to cooperate with God in becoming a a worshiping body of biblically equipped believers who effectively uh, influence our world for Christ through purposeful relationships. That's what we want. That's what we're aiming for. Now we're not there yet. God is in process with all of us, each one of our lives, each one of our families and this church, but God is making us into the people that he wants us to be. Now, when you think about values, how you choose to live on a daily basis reveals your values, reveals what's important to you. Values reveal the heart. They tell on us, they they tattle on us about what's really important. At Grace, we seek to grow in Christ, and we've identified six values that capture the heart of this local assembly. And the first is God's Word, and it makes sense that we start with God's Word because everything we believe is based upon the Word of God, comes from the Word of God. And so God's Word, learning it and teaching it and and obeying it, obeying what God says. But also we are valuing prayer fostering uh, intimacy with God and dependence upon Him. We value families, wanting to to follow Jesus as biblically-based households. We value relationships within the body of Christ, loving one another with grace and with truth. We value service, to serve unselfishly, which is our theme for this year, to serve unselfishly, not in our strength, but in God's strength. And we value outreach. Sharing the love of Jesus uh, with gentleness and with humility as God leads us. That's what we hope is evident as we, uh, as we follow Christ as a group of people that are united by our common faith in Christ and our common purpose as a church. See, these things that we have outlined, God places a high value on these things. That's why we value them. As we follow Jesus, we want them to be integrated into our lives. We want them to become a part of the fabric of who we are. and We want to be used by God to impact eternity. But we need to be careful. Uh, this is a dangerous series. We've got to be careful because this is dangerous. Examining your values is a dangerous proposition. It's dangerous because we may find we don't all value the same things. What's important to one person or one family may not be as important to another. And you could ask the question, why even talk about values as a church? Because we've got to land somewhere. We've got to aim for something. As we, as we move together, uh, we are to be like-minded. We are to be moving in direction towards Christ-likeness. And so it's important for us to, uh, to be moving in the same direction. But it's also dangerous for another reason. You see, you take some time and you evaluate your values. And it's dangerous because it could change your life. It could change your family. It could change this church. In fact, none of us should be the same in six weeks. After after looking and after taking the time even during the week to to get into the Word and to pray and, and to... And to to really think about what is important. It's going to spur some people on. It's going to shake some people out of complacency. But all of us are going to be changed. As we walk in, we, we seek to walk in step with the Spirit. We're seeking to walk in step with the Spirit. And so when you do that, priorities get rearranged. But we want to be who God is calling us to be and do. And it's going to change the way we think and we act. Now, the value we're looking at today is God's Word. Learning God's Word, teaching God's Word, obeying God's Word. And uh, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We want to first look at the idea of learning God's Word. Now, what I love about this passage is that it relates the Word of God uh, to the context of loving relationships within the body of Christ. It shows that we cannot truly learn the Word in a vacuum. You can't just sit all by yourself at home and and stay there all the time and just learn the word apart from relationships. It's to be experienced in the context of a relationship with God, first and foremost, but also amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ and other people that we interact with on a daily basis. The context of this letter in 1 Peter is Peter speaking of the greatness of our salvation in Christ and how you grow by faith and how you, um, by God's strength, become holy in behavior and in conduct, allowing God to do the changing, allowing God to make you who he wants you to be. Our passage for today speaks of loving one another And of being nourished by God's word. Verse 22 starts like this. Since you have in obedience to the truth. There's the word of God. In obedience to the truth. Purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. See Peter's saying you love each other. Your love for one another. And that's the word Philadelphia. Love for the brothers. Your love for one another is real because your obedience is real. You have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. You love because you're obedient. And then he says, I, I know that's true about you, and so because it's true about you, keep on doing that. Love one another fervently from the heart. In fact, he's saying, he changes the word. And that next word, love, is agape. Agape. It's He's spurring them on to a deeper love. Yes, you're loving one another. Keep on doing it and do it so fervently that it's, it's God's love that is being showered in, in, in upon one another as you love. See, their love for each other was sincere. It was real. It was, they had no pretense, no guile, no hypocrisy, no falsehood. They had a purity of life and it was seen in their obedience. And it was seen in their love. It, there was a lack of corruption. And it was associated with what the word of God had done in their hearts. The First thing we see about learning the word of God is that it begins with new life in Christ. Verse 23 says this. You have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. By the living And enduring word of God. See it tells us something significant about salvation. And it's relation to the word of God. You go back to verse 3 of this chapter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 3 starts. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who according to his great mercy. Has caused us to be born again. To a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God did that. As we respond in faith, we realize that, that God drew us to himself and that he's the one who saves us. And so now in verse 23, Peter is saying, remember, remember how you were saved. It wasn't by your own doing, but it was through the agency of the word of God. See, and he's saying spiritual life doesn't, doesn't begin the same way a physical life begins. There's shades of, of the interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter 3 here. When Jesus said, You must be born again. You're not born spiritually the way people are born physically. But you're born through the living and enduring Word of God. And if you're a Christian, you are saved from your sin through hearing and responding to the Word of truth, to the Word of God, to the message of the gospel in Jesus, to the grace of God in Christ. You learn of God's word through the gospel. The good news. The source of your new life is God's word. Specifically, the word made flesh. Jesus Christ himself. You've been born again through a word that is living. It's continually at work on us and in us. It's used by the Holy Spirit to bring people to a knowledge of the grace of God in Christ. as Hebrews 4.12 Told us uh, the word of God is living, it is active. James chapter 1, verse 18, we read that God brings us forth by the word of truth. And so when we see verse 24, which verses 24 and 25 are a quote from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8, we read these words. All flesh is like grass. And by the way, some of us have a lot of brown grass in our front yards, in our backyards. All flesh is like grass. Its glory is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers. The flower falls off. But the word of our God, it stands Forever. It stands, it endures, it's pointing to the, to the unchanging nature of the Word of God, to the permanence of the Word of God. What a, wonderful, what a wonderful comfort to know that there is an objective truth that our lives can be based upon when everything else that we, that we see in life changes so rapidly. Whether it be our health, whether it be our fortunes, whether it be our job situations or our family situations, Everything around us changes constantly, but God's Word never changes. God's Word is enduring. It is permanent. And that is the Word through which we are saved. The permanence of the Word of God versus the frailty of of human achievement and of beauty and of fame and of accomplishments, they, they all fade quickly. So significant in light of the constant change is the word of God that does not change Isaiah chapter fifty five God is speaking of his word, and he says that it's like rain and snow it 's like rain and snow isaiah fifty five and verse ten just as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. You see, God's word is enduring and it is permanent and it is active, it is alive. It does what God intends. So if you've been born spiritually, you've come to faith in Christ, you are permanently Part of God's family. Based upon what the word of God says. The unchanging word says. But if not. Before you go any further. With the word of God. You've got to be born again. You've got to be born spiritually. If you're not spiritually alive. Then you are spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. But God makes us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved, not by anything we can do on our own. So today, if you do not know Jesus, you must be born again. You must be born spiritually. Well, you're born physically, but you're going to die. But Jesus says, whoever believes in me will live forever. So you've got to be born again. 1 Corinthians 2 tells us that the person who's not born again, the person who does not know Jesus, doesn't understand the word of God. Can't understand the word of God. Now if you're saved, you may be confused by the word of God. You may read something, uh, you may read a lot of things. We all read things and we're like, we don't understand it. What does this mean? And you come across some things that are confusing and that are puzzling. But you're never totally without understanding. You see, believers need explanation. Unbelievers need explanation transformation. See, we're going to find things that we don't understand, but that doesn't mean that we don't know nothing about the Word of God, that we can't understand it. But someone who does not know Jesus must be born again. Because if you're not born again, you can't comprehend love or mercy or grace or forgiveness. It's not possible. In fact, it says that those who, who don't know Jesus are blinded Satan has blinded their minds. But it says when someone turns to Christ, they can see. There are some evangelism implications for us. And they are these. The fact that being born again comes through the word of God, through the message of the word of God, by believing the message of Jesus, what that tells me is that none of our explanations... Or any, even, even our life example does not make people saved. It might give them a hunger. It might create some type of a, of a curiosity in them. But it's the word of God that saves. Someone looks at my life and says, are they a Christian or not? Or they say, wow, they must, well, there's something different. That doesn't make them a believer. Or maybe I, I can really explain it really, really well. Better than anyone else on the face of the earth. That's not going to save them either. See, the Word of God is what brings new life. Words that are powerful because they are God's, and God still uses them because these words endure forever. And so, God's Word, it is in the hearing of God's Word that people are given new life. See, it's about new life. When learning God's Word, the first step is new life in Christ. But once you're born spiritually, it's about something else. It's about knowing God. It's about getting to know God more and more and going deeper in our knowledge of Him. See, learning God's Word is not just about knowing facts about God. A lot of people know facts about God and they have no knowledge of God, no true knowledge of God. It's not about how much you know. It's not about being able to say, well, I know that already because I I memorized that verse or I heard that story. It's not what it's about. It's about knowing God, not facts about Him. Truly knowing God. If you want to know the word and know all the answers, you're going to find very quickly that some things only God knows. OGK. And we will not know. You could memorize the entire Bible and not get the definitive answer. We'll find out later. But on the other hand, it is important to know the Word of God, isn't it? It is important to know what God says. A lot of people know what, what peop, other people say about God's Word. God wants us to know His Word. So we need to read the Bible for all its worth. We need to know what the Word of God says, what it actually says. See, God doesn't want us to be ignorant of His truth. Some people, uh, are, are, they know so much and it's in their head but it doesn't get down to their heart and they get arrogant they just know all these things there's no love or joy or peace or patience and then some people they know very very little and they get they get deceived they get led astray in all different directions because they don't know what the word says But see learning real learning involves a process there's a uh, there is a, a personal process that goes on and it's carried out in a personal exchange. Master and apprentice, teacher and student, parent and child. And so, in those relationships, there's this, uh, there's this training of the mind that goes on, there is this uh, discipline of the imagination that happens, there is an exploration of ideas. There is a a testing of concepts. There's the maturing of behavioral skills in the context of everyday life. It's not just memorizing something. Not just knowing facts. We learn in the arena of life. We learn as as we go. And real learning uh, integrates internals and externals. It integrates everything we are experiencing in life. And when you're in school, for example, it's not just what happens in the classroom, but outside the classroom. And what you learn in the classroom applied to life. And then you really learn it. True learning. There's something, the idea is this, God speaks, we listen. And there's this this practice that needs to become a part of our lives That is often not a part of our lives. And often not a part of my life. And it's the practice of listening to God. See if you don't listen to God you miss the point entirely. You miss the point entirely. I want you to go to Psalm 40 with me for for a moment. I want to show you something that I'm learning here. Psalm 40. In verse 6, here's what it says. It says, Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired, God, but my ears you have opened. See, in the midst of busy religious activity, They were deaf to the voice of God. They were doing the sacrifices. They were bringing their offerings, but they weren't hearing the voice of God. They may have been reading the words, but they weren't getting it. They'd become religious, but they weren't listening to God. They weren't listening to what God was really saying. They read, but they didn't listen. And most... Every translator translates this, my ears you've opened. But if if you look at the Hebrew word, there's a meaning that gets opened up. And it's this. Here's the Hebrew word. Dug. My ears you have dug. Dig, God has dig, has dug in and cleared out all the mess. It's... It's like using a drill God drills through our thick skulls <laughs> and so that we can hear. He takes out the makita and he clears the way. See, uh, he, the, the writer of the psalm is saying, "You haven't desired sacrifice and meal offering. Ah, he's beginning to get it." He says, "My ears you have opened." Burn offering and sin offering you have not required. Now, the reading is becoming listening because God has dug through his ears so that he can hear. So we think so many times that it's just about looking. I see the words on the page. You realize that most believers for hundreds of years couldn't see the word on the page? They couldn't read it? They heard it. They heard the word. They heard the speaking voice speaking the word. And there's something about that that we lose. But God gave us a great gift in the printed word and that we can carry around inexpensive copies of scripture with us. But what happens is we start to devalue that. This enduring and living word and it becomes one book among many. This is the living and abiding word of God. And so sometimes God's got to drill, drill in till we start hearing. Now, the psalmist, he begins to listen to God. Because the next thing he says is, Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is written within my heart. Oh, now he's getting it. Now now the hearing becomes listening. Listening has been restored. Psalm 40 begins with, I waited patiently for God and he heard me. Well, God heard him, but he didn't hear God. And now the psalmist is listening to God and, and listening to God presupposes reading Scripture. It presupposes reading Scripture, but you may read without listening. You may memorize without listening. We have to read before we can listen, but reading doesn't presuppose, doesn't guarantee listening. And we can't do it alone either. We cannot listen to what God is saying in the Word alone. Like everything in the Christian life, we cannot do it apart from Jesus. Learning involves our whole being. Not just our brain. But listening is something few are good at. Something you have to work at. And we can fake it with each other, you know, we can pretend we're listening. But not with God. Look at Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3, it says this, Blessed is he who reads... And those who hear the words of the prophecy. And heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now you move over to chapter 2 and verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And then chapter 2 verse 11 He who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And verse 17. He who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And verse 29. He who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And chapter 3 and verse 6. He who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And verse 13. He who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Verse 22. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And then chapter 21. And verse 15. The one who spoke with me. He heard him. He heard him. Look at verse 18 of chapter 22. I testify to everyone who hears. Don't add to them. Because if you do, there are consequences. See, God has spoken. God has spoken truth. God has spoken truth we need. And it's truth we need to listen to. Now the second thing I want to address is uh, the idea of teaching. Teaching God's word. Verse 25. It says, this is the word which was preached to you. God places a high value on the teaching and preaching of his word. And some call it foolishness. Apostle Paul said that. God is pleased with the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Some call it foolishness, but God uses it to to present His wisdom. Look at Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse 8. But what does it say? It says the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what? You will be saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. If you're not born again today, there you have it. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And it says here that you'll be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For all, the same Lord is the Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now it says in verse fourteen, "How will they call on Him in whom they have not heard?" You've got the hearing ear again. How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they're sent? Just as it is written, "How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who who proclaim good news, good tidings of good things." And then in verse seventeen, we read. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. The teaching of God's word is very important and all the more reason to pass it on. Pass on to those who are trustworthy, like 2 Timothy 2 2 says, The things that you have learned and, and received, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And we're called to handle it accurately. 2 Timothy 2.15, if you've been through Awana, you know this verse. If you've taught Awana, you know this verse. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightfully dividing the word of truth, handling it accurately. Like a roadmaker cutting a road, like someone uh, handling a plow. Handle it accurately. Rightly divide the word of truth. Don't make it say what you want it to say. Let it speak to your heart first. Let God speak to your heart first, and then you'll have something significant to say to those you teach. Otherwise, we're just throwing out ideas. It's important uh, for parents to teach their kids the Word of God. It's important for kids to hear the Word of God spoken with the voice of their parents. You look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. From the earliest age, children were to hear the word of God read to them by their parents. And there is something in the spoken word that God uses to bring people to himself. God expected parents to pass on the truth to their offspring. Paul spoke of Timothy being taught the word of God by his mother and his grandmother. The church supported that commitment. Grace has a wonderful legacy of, of Bible teaching from this pulpit, in Bible classes, in studies, from children to youth to adults of every age. There's this commitment to the Word of God and to the teaching of the Word of God because we know that God transforms us by His Word. And so we teach for transformation. And we don't measure success by what people know but by how people change as God changes them. But there's a huge roadblock in the way of listening to what God says in the Word, and we're so conditioned to it we don't even know it's there. It affects most Bible teaching today. And it's this tendency to view everything in life as if we were customers consumers and so pastors prepare sermons according to what their people want versus what they need and we've got to reorient ourselves away from a consumer mentality to one where we are are listening to what god is saying in the word and letting that speak Letting the word do its work on us. And that necessitates the practice of seeking to please God rather than men. If you have the privilege to teach, don't tickle ears. We read in 2 Timothy that their time will come when they won't endure sound teaching, but they will accumulate for themselves teachers that will teach according to just what they want to hear. Their ears will be tickled, oh, it will feel so good. If you you teach, don't say what you think they want to hear to get the applause of men or to maintain job security or to get a raise or whatever. Speak the Word of God with boldness, with sincerity, with clarity. But don't approach the Word for primarily what you can take out of it. And guys like me do that. We run to the Word, and instead of letting God speak to our hearts first, we start thinking, how can I teach this? We bypass ourselves. So let God speak to your soul first. Then you'll have something significant to share. See, a preacher's job is to present God's revelation. A real God speaking to real people about real things, expecting a real response. And we're to guard the revelation from, from being viewed as as merely a consumer product, Uh, mere information or facts that you can just gather to yourself. That's abstract. That's impersonal. A living God speaks a living word to living people, and the Holy Scriptures are the written representation of that word. And praise God, we have it in writing. We read in 2 Timothy 2.9 that the word of God is not bound. It is not captive. It is free to roam wherever it will. We don't have to defend the word of God. It's like a lion. It will defend itself. Free to do what God pleases. The last thing I want to share is the idea of obeying God's word. Verses uh, 1 through 3 of chapter 2. The idea of wanting to follow what God says. Just having the desire to do what God wants. Just to obey our our Heavenly Father. In James 1.22 it says, Don't don't just be hearers of the word, just be doers of it. Practice the word. John 15, Jesus said, You're my friends if you do what I command you. Chapter 2 here in 1 Peter, verse 2 says that we, like newborn babies, that are long for the pure milk of the word. Not, uh, that's, that's not, that doesn't mean simple teaching or beginner's teaching. It means pure teaching. Something to be eagerly desired for nourishment. If it's based on the foundation of Jesus Christ, teaching will be pure and it will be nourishing. We des- why, why should we desire it? Ch- verse 2 says, so that you may grow in respect to salvation. So that we can grow in Christ. We ought to desire the word of God so we could grow in Christ. See, God's word is not just life-generating, it is life-sustaining. See, in verse 3, it says, uh, if you've tasted that God is good. If you've tasted the kindness of God, it's conditional. If, Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Keep tasting. Hear God speak. Read the word. And again and again, find out what he's like. Experience Him. They're not dead words. The Spirit gives life. So hear God speak. And and doing that creates a longing. It creates a craving. See, spiritual growth is marked by a craving. A, a, uh, A craving for God's Word with the same kind of intensity that a little baby craves its mommy's milk. How is desire cultivated? How does it come about? See, a true knowledge of God leads to a truly changed life. You love the Father, you love His Word. You love the Father, you want to do what He says. He changes you. But you may be like, um, well, I know the Lord, but I have absolutely no desire for the Word of God. What's wrong with me? Something is... What is it? We all go there, don't we? We find ourselves with no desire for the word of God. The desire that believe. it's not just for new Christians who can't get enough of the word of God. What happens to us? We get calloused. Sin creeps in and blocks the way. And God has got to take out the makita and drill through the ear. See, we've got to get rid of sin. That's what blocks our listening. Interestingly, the parable of the soils. That's a listening parable. A listening parable. And and you've got to get rid of sin because you can't listen if it's all choking you up. It says in verse 1, Therefore, putting aside all malice. so you can't just jump to verse 2. Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word. Oh, how sweet. See, it says in verse 1, putting aside all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and all envy and all slander. Then, like newborn babies, you can long for the pure milk of the word. And all means all. All doesn't mean, we want it to mean a little. Can I just be a little deceitful? Can I just be a little envious? Can I just slander somebody a little? All means all. And it says, let go of all, uh, put away, eliminate, give up, not in your own strength, but God's strength, all uh, deceit, excuse me, malice first, malice. Malice is evil intent and actions that are harmful for other people. And, And all deceit. Deceit is hurting people through trickery or falsehood. It literally means to catch with bait. You bait people to get them to trip up. All hypocrisy is supposed to be put away. That's the masking of inner evil by an outward show of righteousness. Um, All envy. That's the opposite of being glad about what God brings good into someone else's life. All slander. Those are words that are intended to harm someone's status or reputation. Slander. See, put all those things aside, all those things are aimed at hurting other people. But love is aimed, remember the context of this passage. The word of God in context with loving relationships. And and, and you will go anywhere in the New Testament that speaks of the word of God and it is sandwiched in the context of relationships. You never see the word of God in a vacuum. There's not just one chapter on, let's just talk of the word of God and only the word of God and just what you can learn of it. It's always in relationship to relationship. Put those things away. Replace them with truth. And then when those things are gone, isn't it amazing that the hunger returns? The hunger returns. Obey your thirst when it's for the word of God. Deny it when it's for sin. Like like babies longing for the pure milk. We need to admit our need for the word. God, I need you. I need you every moment. Jesus, I need you, and I need your word. And, and I'm not desiring it right now, Lord. Please renew my desire. Please take away anything that's choking my life and, and renew my desire for the word. See, the important practice here is walking in truth. It's a process. It's a, it's a way of life. 3 John, verse 4 it's the hope of every parent. It's the hope of every, of every spiritual leader. Here's what it says. I have no greater joy than this, than to hear of my children walking in the truth. It's a pattern of life. It's a, it's a parallel life with the Word of God. It's aligning ourselves with the Word of God. It's longing for the Word of God. It's, it's letting ourselves soak in the Word of God, marinate in the Word of God. It's the opposite of living a lie, walking in the truth. So if you're a believer and you're not walking in the truth, I guarantee you, you're the most miserable people here. Because you're not walking in the way you know you're to walk and the Holy Spirit is convicting you. See, the Holy Spirit's role is essential. John chapter 14. As we close, I want you to look at this. John chapter 14 and and verse 16, it says this. Uh, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides in you and will be with you. And then verse 26. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And then chapter 16 and verse 8. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And then, verse 13. But when he comes, the Spirit of truth, he will guide you into all the truth, and he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. Don't ignore the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, and He guides us into all the truth. He's, the, he's God, God the Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit. And they want to apply the Word. God wants to apply the Word to, to our souls and then out into our relationships. Don't be cheated. Don't be, don't be led astray by cheap imitations. Every time we come to this book, we, we enter into crisis we come to a crossroads because see this book this book inter uh, give uh, opens up a world that is so different from the world we live in you see we it presents a totally different perspective than what gets served up daily via TVs and iPods and newspapers it takes you into a realm where god is is first cause of everything where he doesn't get ignored where he doesn't just Um, get lip service he's the first cause and never an afterthought where he can't be put off this word takes us there and we realize it's so foreign to where we live but I'll tell you what God is not relative to anything he comes first and living and teaching and obeying God's word becomes a huge reorientation of our lives that's what it's all about As we come to the Word, God reorients us towards what is true and right and good. So you go then from a culture-driven, conditioned responses and assumptions to God-focused living, to life-transforming truth that permeates your soul. And here's what you find. That that Word that is so different from the world in which we live makes you most fit to do what God calls you to do today. And it makes you most fit for the world which is to come. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for how great you are and thank you for your word which is alive. And Lord, we just pray that you would continue to change us as you see fit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.